Hello, humans. So very good of you to join us. Welcome to this inaugural episode of Taking Creative License. Every couple of weeks, we'll delve into the stories of people in the creative arts. All different walks of life in the creative arts, whether it be someone who works in the very, very lowest uh, section of the credits on a movie, or the very, very highest credits on a stage, or a visual artist, or a dancer. Everyone who is involved in the creative arts is a creative person. I find it rather fascinating all the different things that people think about that get them to the place where they are creating putting that out there for people like you and me to watch or listen to, to take in, to breathe in, to enjoy. Also, creative people tend to have a very emotional attachment to their beliefs uh, and the things that go on in the world. And it's interesting to me to see what those uh, sorts of ideas may cause them to do in the course of their creative life or into their uh, social or political or environmental outreach. Things that are interesting to them, to me, are quite interesting. Uh, so sit back and enjoy our first episode, which is an introduction of yours truly. It's a little lengthy, so if you want to take it in chunks, go for it. And uh, our second episode is going to be our very first interview. This week, I am joined by my dear, dear friend and former student, Miss Emily Anesty, who is the co-host of The Marvelous Nerdcast uh, with Zach and Emily, and is the fairly newly titled Game Master for the Nerdin' Out podcast, which you can find uh, on Wednesdays on your podcast platforms. Uh, Marvelous Nerdcast is in currently a bit of a hiatus, uh, kind of retooling things, uh, and there's some pretty fantastic things coming that way and i'm sure that uh we'll be able to update you on when they're coming back pretty soon so let's get on with it greetings, greetings, greetings. greetings. hello here How we go doing? i'm good how are good. you doing i'm doing you said you were sick a couple of weeks ago or last yes week. yeah yeah i it wasn't really i don't know i just felt like crap it wasn't necessarily a sickness so how do you want to get started just, I mean, paraphrase the question in a conversational manner, and obviously I'll cut all this out. Well, yeah, obviously. And you're welcome to to say who you are, or I can say who you are. You can say who I am. So thanks, Emily, for being on the podcast, the very first episode, and asking me a few questions about me so that I don't have to just get on here and talk about myself for absolutely forever, because I will do that, as you well know. Yeah. Um, so you can keep me kind of guided in the right direction. Um, and for those that uh, that don't know who Emily is, she is my unofficial uh, first daughter and uh, a former student of mine and uh, and the host of the Marvelous Nerdcast and uh, newly crowned game master for the Nerd and Out podcast, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Right. So, um, so kind of an old hand at this. So I decided it was a pretty good idea to get somebody who knew what they were doing to ask me some questions. So here we go. So I think I know you pretty well. Like I've known you for a very long time. Right. And... But I still feel like there's a lot that I don't know about you. So who are you personally? 
Does anybody ever know the answer to that question? Um, <laughs> we'll start, I guess, um, kind of from the from the present and from the macro. Um, I am a uh, composer, uh, kind of growing into that role. I've been a music arranger for years and years, but, uh, as far as creating my own material, uh, this is, mm, I've done it off and on for bands, but at the level that I'm trying to do it now is, is, uh, is kind of new. So I'm a composer and educator. I've been doing that since, since, uh, since God was a boy, really. Um, I, since 2002 was my official first year, but I was teaching a long time before that. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and have been a band director for most of that and got out of that to come to the, uh, Alabama department of youth services to work with the students here on, uh, electronic music, uh, hip hop, things like that, uh, working with digital audio workstations, uh, those sorts of things. And, um, obviously starting a podcast. So I'm, I guess I'm now officially a podcaster and um and uh talking to some people about some other opportunities coming up so that's that's kind of the macro uh live in uh south of birmingham alabama and i have uh, a wife and three kids um two two tweenagers uh and uh and a toddler that looks like a 10 year old um <laughs> and a dog that was supposed to be medium-sized but is already medium-sized at like two and a half months old. Um, so she's probably going to be Clifford, the big red dog. Um, she just matches the, she just matches your youngest. It's fine. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's insane. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I, I basically, I love making sounds. I love, uh, uh, I mean, you know, good sounds. I also love making bad sounds. Um, and, uh, and, and, working with people, which is hard in this, uh, in this modern climate, but, uh, I love working with people and, and, uh, and all that. So those are things you kind of know about me. Um, as far as what you don't know, um, I really don't know what you don't know. What don't you know? <laughs> I mean, I know that you have, um, graciously offered your services to our podcast, um, by creating our intro Mm -hmm. and outro music so thank you for that can you go into like more details about your childhood and like your teenage years so uh, yeah the couch I feel like that's important to know because there's a lot that happens in those years that makes you who you are well um to you know as as i am i am playing guest but officially i'm the host what i'll do is 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 try to guide this the way that i want it to be uh, okay. guided and, and kind of stick on the creativity side of things. Um, my, I was in a single parent household, but I was around my dad a fair amount, especially when I was younger. And both of my parents to some degree were musical. Um, my mom had sang when she was younger and was even in like a, I don't know, a sixties style girl group in the Birmingham area, uh, for a while. Uh, when she was a kid, she was actually scouted for, uh, uh, by Warner brothers to be a child actress and, and her mother wouldn't let her do it. Um, oh, wow. so yeah, yeah. So, um, and then my dad, when he was around would play some guitar, who was a huge Chet Atkins fan who still to this day is one of the greatest acoustic guitarists ever. He was, he was, he was a beast. Um, and, um, 
uh, dad met, met him at some point and basically worshiped him. Um, and he sang some kind of, I mean, he, he could carry a tune, but he wouldn't sing much cause he didn't think he could. Um, and so, but mostly, um, they, they just loved music. Mom listened to a lot of music, but people don't know what music is anymore. Um, that's like, uh, the music you would hear, uh, arrangements in the, in the sixties and seventies of popular tunes that they would play in grocery stores or, or, uh, elevators or this, they used to call it elevator music. And, um, mm. Muzak was the company and actually I, I just totally as an aside, my dad was, I think one of the first Muzak salesmen in Alabama. Um, oh. one of the many ventures he started and stopped. Um, but, uh, pretty, pretty cool. Um, the two of them liked music a lot, listened to music a lot, exposed me to a lot of music at a young age. They also did the same with my brothers who were very involved in, in, uh, in church singing and things like that. My, uh, my oldest, uh, was a bassist and singer. My middle oldest, middle older, um, was, uh, a place or played some guitar, I think. Um, but, but sang a lot. Uh, and then the third one <sighs> makes me sick. He has perfect pitch, um, <laughs> plays piano, guitar, basically any instrument he picks up, uh, sings great and was, was on tour with a, like a Christian pop rock contemporary thing, uh, during the late eighties, early nineties. And, um, that they were really pretty good. And he was a primary songwriter for them. So he was, he was an influence on me a lot, had, um, wonderful synthesizers around, uh, uh, when I was, when I was young and didn't know what I was looking at. I was the only one of us that did kind of the traditional school band route. Um, they were all rock sort of musicians and, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, I did, drums. I wanted to play clarinet. Band director lied to me and said, Hey, your teeth are all wrong for clarinet. We need a drummer. Okay. I'll, I'll play drums. <laughs> and so, um, but in our little town band in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, um, uh, boys didn't touch mallet instruments or anything. So, um, I kind of, yeah, I kind of, I kind of would tinkle around on something when I could get over there, but I didn't, I didn't play until I went to, to college. Now, as far as drums, I, I was, I was a pretty decent drummer for a little, little town. Um, uh, went to Stanford university to study music education. That went really pretty well until I ran into one particular professor who was pretty determined. I never belonged in a classroom. So, uh, changed for my last year to music performance and, uh, got certification through a different route, uh, to be an mm -hmm. educator, which worked pretty good. I was, I was already going to get a, uh, I was on track to get a performance certificate from Stanford anyway. So it was pretty easy to slide over and do performance. But the cool thing is that gave me an opportunity to learn some baritone and some viola, um, so that I could stack up my uh, lessons time uh, during during that last year and get the required credits. Um, so that was that was really pretty hip. And uh, then I taught a year. Um, that didn't go great. I really thought I was pretty bad at it. Um, uh, there were a lot of extenuating circumstances that, as a as a youngin, getting out uh, as as my as my wife says, fresh off the farm, uh, go into a school and, uh, things aren't kind of on the up and up all the way across the board there. Uh, I turned around and blamed myself. And I said, I, I just mm -hmm. can't do this, especially with, with beginners, which now I know is one of my strengths. Um, I, I thought I was terrible. And so the first chance I got, I got an opportunity to go to, 
uh, Oklahoma State University and do a graduate assistantship with the drumline and, and percussion department and, uh, and, and do my master's in performance and pedagogy there. And so I leapt at that, um, went out on Valentine's Day, played a short audition. I had pretty much already been accepted. I just, I, I felt like I needed to at least meet the guy before I went out there. And that was, that was kind of all, that, that's history there. You know, that, that was two of the best years uh, of my life and getting to know my brand new wife and, and learning a new state for the first time in my life. And it was hard, but it was really, really cool. Um, and uh, just having gone to a small school, I'd never been to 1A football games or that sort of thing. So never was really interested, but it was kind of cool as a graduate assistant to walk out on the field with the, with the kids and, and look up and see all those people and to not be, to not be so heavily involved in it and go to all the parties and things like that. They're involved in 1A schools, but to still be able to experience it as an older guy, you know, Mm -hmm. um, sometime in the midst of all that, I marched some drum corps. Um, the older I get, the further away from that I get, um, especially given some of the, some of the things that are going on kind of socially within the drum corps organization right now. Um, so I just, just put it as a, as a check mark that I'm our March drum corps. <laughs> uh, um, and then, yeah, then came back, my mom got sick and I came back to Alabama. I would go back to Oklahoma even today if, um, if they paid teachers worth anything, it's, it's horrible out there. Um, Alabama really, I mean, pays pretty decently for teachers and retirement here is great. And we've got roots here. So we'll stay until maybe the kids get out of school. That's, that's it sort of in a nutshell. I, for a while I thought, Hey, I'm going to be a drum guy. I'm going to be the assistant mm-hmm. band director. Or I'm going to go teach in a college or this or that. And I'm going to be a drum guy. And the further through that, I got the older and, and less willing to work with me. My chops got, uh, uh, they kept saying no, 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 as I was saying yes, 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 and so I decided, well, maybe I need to just delve into being a better band director. Felt like I had a lot of really, really good successes, but I also felt like I was beating my head against the wall in a lot of ways, and I'm sure we'll get more into that later. Um, and um, and when this opportunity came up to kind of shift directions, but still stay in education, maybe have some more direct influence on individuals, I, I jumped at this, and I'm. I'm loving it. And it's giving me opportunities to, to explore my uh, creative side as well, you know, through the composition. So that's a lot of talking. So, so anything, <laughs> I mean, you wanna, that's good stuff. anything you want to yeah. unpack there? Oh, wow. I've never actually used that phrase before. Unpack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, you, you hear it all the time in interviews, but I, I've never used it. <laughs> um, I think that it's really great you come from a family of musicians. I didn't have that. And I, I think that that's, uh, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I didn't know that. I had no idea about any of that. Hey, do you know how many brothers I have? No, I have four, no sisters. Yeah. Four. yeah. Three older brothers and one younger half brother who wasn't musical, musical at all. Hmm. But the other ones were musical. Yes. Mm-hmm. And all a, quite a bit older. My next oldest brother is 12 years older than me. So oh, wow. I was, I was watching them go through their kind of heyday through high school and, and college years. They didn't go to college, but uh, high school and college years um, playing in bands and, and singing and, and just, I mean, it was really, really cool to watch that as a young and, and just kind of, I, I looked up to them a lot because my dad wasn't around, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I was asking for. Thank you. Cause I, I 
you pretty much ended up right where I met you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> actually, I, you. Uh, I ended up two years before you met me. Yeah. Yeah. And how long had you been teaching before, before I met you? Like uh, how long had you been teaching after OSU? Two years because I came back here in 2005 um, and I started at, uh, at in 2007. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that your mom passed so soon. Like it was so pretty fresh then. It was, she was, uh, she was gone in 2006. And um, that was, that was an interesting thing because I was in, I may have come, let me think again. So I graduated in 2005 um, and then yeah, it would have been 2008 that I came to Haleyville. Yeah, so, because I graduated in 2009. Right. So in 2000, 2006, uh, in March, uh, about what 26 would be 10 days and nine days after her birthday. Um, mm -hmm. She she passed away from cancer. And um, that was kind of it was kind of a rough time. Um, uh, lost my job not long after that because March to May, you know, and um mm -hmm. And the support there for her passing was a little bit weak, as it were. Uh, and there right. was there were some there were some even worse things there uh, than it just being weak. And then and then so that made me very angry for the next year. And I landed in what's possibly the best possible place. And give a shout out to my buddy Rob Smith, who is um, I think. I, I don't want to say this wrong, but I'm going to say it, and it's probably going to be wrong. Um, the events director for uh, the uh, Department of Defense uh, arts programs in uh, in Germany, um, and he was my he was my boss, as it were, the high school director where I was the middle school director at Leeds in 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 uh, 2007. Oh, and wow. he was such a cheerleader for me and such a good friend and, and kind of helped me get through that angry time. And to this day is still a cheerleader. And, you know, I was at Ben Russell for a long time and uh, he's a giant part of why I got that job. He just hounded the garbage out of, out of uh, the guy there to, to interview me. So um, he was, he, he was, and still is just, you know, a great friend and doesn't age. He and his wife don't age. I, they, they don't look a day older than the day they left. It's weird. So you talked about external factors that have influenced the way that you got to where you are now. What are some things that you did that you kind of maybe regret or maybe not regret, but things that you did that took you down ways that you didn't expect or anticipate? The, the only good thing that came out of was my relationship with you. Aww. Um, that I have other friends, but you're the only close one. Mm -hmm. um, and um, that go, going there in the first place for that reason was bad in hindsight. Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't know what I was setting myself up for. I saw the opportunity to make, um, make a better living for my family uh, and, to, and to own a home. Uh, and, and things like that, you know, the things that, a, that, a, that a young guy wants when he's, when he's starting a family off and, and want to try to support that, you know, mm -hmm. but also, uh, a job that while, while Leeds was really, really good to me, I was the middle school director. And, and, and as much as my principal loved me, I was teaching like music appreciation to seventh and eighth graders who didn't want to be there. And it wasn't where I saw myself, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I, I saw opportunity. And, and I think to a, to a large extent, especially going into the second year, um, achieved some of that 
some of what I saw, but there were just so many, so many factors uh, uh, in, in the town that it, it wasn't meant for me. And, um, and it was, well, it was relatively damaging. <laughs> I have to say as a person that was literally born and raised there, yes, it is damaging. It's <laughs> not the best. Um, and also made me tear up a little bit that I'm the only good thing that came from there because like for you personally, because like literally there were, I could count on one hand. So I feel that, you know, and I lived there my whole life. Can you go into more specifics about like some of the obstacles overall? Mm-hmm. I was seen, well, I was seen as a drummer. I was seen as a guy who was really pretty, pretty solid as a drummer. Um, and uh, there were people who, who saw my first couple of years in, in college where I was struggling to, I had the talent. Um, I had the drive but my knowledge base didn't allow me to apply that talent and drive early on. And so I came across as either not very bright. And I don't think that's the case because I, I I feel like people thought I was smart enough, but, but certainly it came across at times as lazy and it wasn't that it just was that I couldn't get it. Um, And that put, that put a, a bit of a dark cloud over, over some, some relationships going forward where people thought that about me, where it, it was, it just wasn't the case. It just, I couldn't do it then. And it took me a while to be able to get to the point that I could, um, that, that put me in a, in a, in a precarious position coming out of school where that, that's some of the internal struggle. Uh, with uh, with uh, everything from full blown imposter syndrome to just the simple, can I do this? Have I done the wrong thing by coming into this profession or, or whatever? Um, because I had felt like a failure at various and sundry, sundry times going through. Fast forwarding to communicate when I was younger was not my easiest thing. When I was very young, not. I mean, I suppose not very, very young, but middle school age. Um, I had a habit of keeping my mouth shut, which sounds like a good thing. But when I opened my mouth, I would say something stupid. Um, usually, uh, usually something snarky. Um, it was not, they say, uh, there's, a, there's a saying, you know, never be the smartest person in the room. And there were times in middle school, and this is not tooting my own horn, I just happened to be where I was, you know, that I was the smartest person in the room. And I had absolutely zero humble pie to go along with that. Experience, wisdom didn't register on my radar, basically with anybody but my mom. I mean, to me, she was the wisest of all. And if anybody else said anything, they were dumb. And that was just me, my failings as a middle schooler. My mom popped me upside the head so many times about that. I still carried part of that. I probably still do. Um, but I still carried part of that certainly into my, my 20s. Um, and going into being a band director. And there were times that I said things or even if I didn't say them out loud, I acted upon what I was thinking um, that got in my way. Um, so I caused some of the problems that, 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 that did come. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to own that, but as far as external factors, because people saw that they saw the, some people saw the early, early days that seemed lazy 
Um, mm-hmm. And then others saw just a drummer. And I mean, you put that all together and there was a lot of disrespect to me um, early on from, from uh, parents and administrators. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and, and, and from the band community. Um, and I would, I, because of that, I grew very paranoid Right. and for 13 of my 16 years teaching, I was looking over my shoulder all the time. And that's, I mean, it's, it's an easy thing to happen when you have to deal with band boosters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and parents. Well, you know, or if you're coaching or, or, you know, any, anytime you have, have a, um, I mean, you know, this coming out of that job, uh, anytime you have to deal with other people, mm-hmm. it's very easy to find yourself in that position. If things don't go swimmingly, if you don't, right. you know, you feel like people are out to get you. Um, and not to the, not to the extent that I was like hiding in a hole or anything, but, but, um, but it was just incredibly stressful and I internalized all that. Yeah. It creates Um, a lot of anxiety. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that has been probably the best thing about this job, um, and about finding, finding my creative voice is, is letting some of that anxiety melt away. Um, and that, that has been a long process. I mean, I'm going on a little over half through my second year here and I still fight it. Um, Mm -hmm. But it, it gets just a little bit every day. It gets a little bit better every day. (laughs) It gets a little bit every day. Um, But it's something that, that I feel pretty well equipped. I've had students in recent years that, that had a lot of anxiety um, here uh, as well as as my last two or three years of of teaching, that anxiety in America has been ramping up, and 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 it's hitting the kids a lot harder than people want to want to believe. And um, mm-hmm. and so I do feel at least equipped to help them with that, which is which is a gift that I was given from all that that was taken away from me. Right. Um, and um, that so that's I don't know that that really answered the question. It's a good discussion, though. <laughs> I wanted to. So in the notes that you sent me, we can, you can edit this however you want, right? But I wanted to focus on this. You say, what are some obstacles that were out of your control that you overcame or didn't? And how did you cope with that? You have personal choices listed there, which I feel like we've discussed. One of the most important things to me has always been, and I've, 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 I've grown really pretty good at articulating it when talking with students is that, is that it doesn't matter if I am in a place where, um, where the students are here for particularly specific reasons um, or if they're just in a general school environment or whatever. And it, it doesn't matter to me who they are. What matters to me is that they care about who they are. Every mm-hmm. day is a new day with me. They walk in and no matter what mistake they've made um, the day before, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a clean slate. Um, kids, adults make mistakes. And um, I want all of my students, all of my friends to know where I am on that, that, that to me, humans are humans, man. Um, And uh, in fact, I will, I will almost surely start the podcasts with, uh, with uh, hi humans or hello humans or, uh, you know, that sort of thing, kind of the same thing I, I say a lot of times when hopping up on a band podium. It's, uh, it's just, it's just really, it's the you know, what, 7 billion people now. 
in the world. And it's Mm -hmm. still a small world. It is. And we only have each one life to live. And why would we make things difficult for someone else who's just trying to live their life? Right. Um, and, and it doesn't matter if that's, um, their political beliefs or the gender identity, whatever the, the color of their skin, we we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a large part of why I wanted to start taking creative license is that, um, there are so many issues that are important to the, well, everyone, but I mean, let's face it, artists, the, the feelings are close to the surface. Um, the things that we're passionate about are close to the surface. And, uh, I wanted to give artists of all stripes, you know, not just musicians. I'm, I happen to be a musician. It's what's what I talk easily about, but, um, uh, artists from all walks of life to be able to talk about the things that, that they're passionate about and that are, you know, that might make them different from someone else, you know, I, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that's something to be, to be celebrated and, and, and loved and not to be pushed away. Um, so Hence the podcast. Right. I I think we talked about this a little bit before. Um, I don't know. In everything that I've ever done, I've experienced, well, we definitely talked about anxiety, but imposter syndrome specifically. Mm-hmm. How do you overcome that? Or do you even overcome that? I have and haven't at various times. Um, the, as far as the, do I, um, but generally I do. And it's not because it's not there. It is always there. It's always eating at the back of my brain. Um, but I've, I've come to understand that that's kind of the way it works. It's just literally always there for everybody uh, that, that deals with it. Most people deal with it on some level. Um, you know, but obviously artists, uh, or, or even CEOs of big companies or whatever, you know, people who have some sort of responsibility to create or to, or to help or to, you know, whatever they've gotten to a certain, certain place in their life. And they wonder how in the world they got there. I mean, I'm 44 years old and I still feel like I'm in my twenties, not physically, but mentally, you know, right. there, yeah. there, and certainly, you know, I mean, I play with Legos all night. Um, <laughs> so uh, it, it's, um, it's an important, I'll tell you, when I first heard about it, and, and I'm sure that this is true for a lot of people, because it really started to be a, a topic, you know, four or five years ago. Um, and when I first heard about it, I was like, good Lord, that's what that is. That, that makes mm-hmm. sense, you know, and, and I didn't realize how many people dealt with it. And, um, as far as how I overcome it, I, I, as you know, I don't, what I do is I just have have to bullhead on, um, one of the hardest things for me, there were, there were days, certainly when I was teaching you guys, there were days I felt like, I I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. You know? Um, I tried never to come across that way. Um, but, uh, I think, I think that's part of it, you know, the kind of the fake it till you make it sort of thing. Yeah. But, but also, um, to, oh, I had a thought. What was the thought? I don't know. (laughs) I tried never to come across that way. And that's what brought the thought. Um, oh yeah. That can come across as cockiness. Mm. I think that certainly was 
um, was something that I dealt with when I was talking about my, my inability to keep my mouth shut earlier, you know, I would come across as, as cocky. Um, um, my, my beloved teacher, uh, Dr. Tracy Wiggins called it, uh, in, in 1998, he called it the asshole mic ear. Um, and, <laughs> and that just never really stopped. Um, but it's, it, it was, it was always a defense mechanism against that imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, the older I've gotten, the more I've gotten really comfortable with saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm uncomfortable with that, but I will find a way to do it. Um, you've also shifted your work from being, well, you've shifted everything from, oh, I'm just a drummer to, I'm a band, I'm going to try to be a band director. I'm going to try my best to do my best. Right. And the uh, last year that I taught, I had 300 students and I had to know what I was doing, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but and, then you have also shifted since then. I'm sorry yes. to interrupt your thought, oh, but you're good. you're good you've shifted since then to I'm going to compose this like huge music for these huge things. And that's what I want to do. And I feel like just my personally, like I went from being (laughs) a musician to being a a scientist, which is totally different. And I feel like imposter syndrome would it only gets worse. Like the further you go, like the bigger it gets, the more it is, you know? Yes. Um, well, and I'll certainly, I'll certainly be quick to admit that it eats at me with, with the composition stuff. But what's interesting about that is the payoff because I'm not, I'm not working with orchestras and stuff yet. You know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. still working in, in my DAW and using samples. And um, if I, you know, I should say when I, you know, get things really off the ground as a trailer music composer and whatnot, mostly I'll be working with samples. That's by and large, uh, with the exception of a couple of companies, pretty much everybody works with, with samples when they're doing trailer music. Um, so the cool thing about that is, is you get immediate reward. Whereas working with uh, a band on a cycle of music, it could be a month, two months, three months before you get that final reward of being able to look back and say, oh, man, this is the work that I did. And and certainly as I would go through that, especially during marching band, because it's Alabama, um, uh, I would have so many voices saying, oh, no, you're doing this wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and sometimes that was musical. Sometimes it was, was, uh, logistical, all these various things, but it was always, it would just pile up. Um, yeah. as a musician, I can, I can write something. I can go back and listen to the, to the ditty that I wrote for you guys podcast and say, Hey, that was pretty cool. I could do this and this and this better, but that was pretty cool. And it sounds like the, the things that I really feel good about, and this was true in, in band too, the last show that I wrote. Um, for, uh, for the last band that I taught full-time anyway. Um, when I look back at it with the exception of one song, the other two songs to me sound like someone else wrote them in a good Mm -hmm. way. Not that, not that they don't sound like me. They definitely sound like me, but the quality is higher than I would have put on myself when I first was writing them, when I first was teaching them to look back at them and see, Oh, those are, those are some pretty stinking good arrangements, but it's hard to see that when you're coming into it. And so I just have to bowl head on and I would get up and teach pretty difficult music um, to 
at least for their level, um, um, to, to those guys, to you guys, uh, that second year, especially, um, and, um, the best way to get across imposter syndrome to me was to be as prepared as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And then when it starts eating at you, when you get up, just, have you seen, um, Luca? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to just say silencio, Bruno, you know, <laughs> uh, when it, when that voice starts saying you, you can't do this, why are you here? <laughs> You have no choice, especially if you're trying to bring home a dollar to buy a buy a buy some bread for your kids. You know, you have no choice but to just keep plowing on mm-hmm. um, and going through. That's the that's that's maybe one of the biggest lessons that I brought through all those years teaching is is now I can go into this composition thing and while it's a completely different animal, I can say, okay, I did that until I was good at it because I wasn't when I started. Mm-hmm. I can do that again with this only I have, I think I have a better starting place. I have all this music that has been in my head for years. Um, I've always been quick with a melody, you know, and obviously rhythm is easy for me. It, you know, the only thing that I feel uh, at times I feel a little bit ill-equipped to handle is, is more complex harmonies. Um, uh, but then the cool thing about that is if I just kind of back up and try to forget music theory, sometimes I turn out with some really good stuff. Yeah. Um, it's, um, uh, it's when I start trying to think, oh, well, those chords don't go together, you know, because my music theory is not that strong. And especially when you get to jazz chords and things that we're, uh, working on an assignment where I have to use jazz chords and I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Um, but I, it turned out pretty good, uh, so far anyway, I haven't turned it in yet. So they may hate it, but that's okay. I'll write another one. You know? So I think being older, it's easier for me to accept failure um, and to see it as I've always told students. Well, I read a, a book several God, this would have been in in Oklahoma. Actually, I read a book called um, A Soprano on Her Head by Eloise Rystad, um, wherein she she does all these various things that are outside the box to get her students to do things that they're uncomfortable with um, from a soprano kind of standing on her head and singing. Uh, and it's just so silly that she just kind of lets everything out um, to turning a, a piano book sideways and realizing that the, 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 the lines on the staff uh, line up with the piano keys um, and, and things like that. So she would do all these various things. But one of the things that she talked about was that most people aren't afraid of failure. Um, they're afraid of the work that it takes to be successful. Uh, and that's something I've gotten so much better at understanding about myself as I, as I get older. And I don't mind the work. I really mm-hmm. don't, especially for something I'm passionate about. Um, what's hard, I think for most people, but it certainly is for me, uh, is is keeping up that level of of strength. And later on, I, I don't suppose the in-betweener episodes have to be surprises. So I'm going to talk about that that very thing. Uh, probably two-thirds of the way through the season, there's, there's going to be an episode about... Um, the reach for perfection, um, you know, uh, and accepting mediocrity, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, and there are parts in our lives where I feel like we, we almost have to accept mediocrity to be able to really truly succeed at other things. Um, mm-hmm. because we can't do everything perfectly. We, we just can't, right. you know, each of us is only one person. Um, and, um, I've, I've gotten pretty good at parsing out 
that uh, about myself, the things that I can let go of and, and be successful at other things. And it, it took, I would love to say it took a lot of hard work to get there and it did internal personal work, but mostly it took a lot of getting the crap beat out of me, um, to figure it out, you know? Um, and, uh, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a good place after all that, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, definitely. It sucks that it has to be that way. Of course, but yeah, but you know, it, but it is, you know, oh, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. There are lots of analogies where, well, it's like building a, a muscle, you know, your heart's a muscle, your brain isn't a muscle, but it works like one. The more you work it out, the, the stronger it gets. And it's the mm-hmm. same sort of thing. You know, um, I was just for all those years working out those muscles, handling those people and, and those situations and getting stronger and stronger learning from it and strengthening my, my, uh, gray matter muscle, gray matter muscle. That would be a great song name. <laughs> want to touch on this. I don't know if it's technically how you want your specific episode to go, like the one where you're being introduced. Um, sure. but in the world today, both like at large, like overall and, in, you know, your tiny little world, what are some issues that you feel may have helped through creative thinking and, uh, and influencing the arts in your discipline or just in general? As, as we, as we go forward, um, kind of socially, oh, I could go on a rant about this, uh, and I'm going to try very hard not to, but I will, I will brush on it. I started to see evidence as the internet first started growing. And, and it was first, the, the seeds were first planted with emails and chat rooms and, and things like that in the, in the, in the nineties. Um, people started to, to take a, a specific kind of ownership of other people's lives and other people's art. Some of the things that, that were said about me on the internet early on um, were pre- pretty brutal. And of course there were, there were no names behind them. And, and then even before that, as, as like I said, emails and, and chat rooms and uh, bulletin board services and things like that were a thing in the late 90s, as, as George Lucas put out The Phantom Menace and, and, and then went forward with the other two prequels, people said, that's, that's not right. You know, th- these are stories that I don't want told. This is a way I don't want it told. And they're saying that this thing that they grew up with belonged to them, even though the guy who created it was doing something different. And not that I in any way equate myself with George Lucas, except for maybe the beard. Um, I think that that those are similar sorts of, of things we have as we've come forward in the arts um, and as we've come forward as a society, especially since the year 2015, we, we get bolder and bolder as a society about saying just whatever we think and, and saying that, that we're an authority on, on things and, and, and whatever. And to me, I think one of the, one of the most important things that we can do as a society, and I mean a global society, although it seems to be worse in America, um, is to is to take a step back and learn to stay outside of people's bubbles. I think it's really important that we take a step back. I don't know how that's going to happen. 
every, everything that I can do through the podcast, through YouTube, through composition talks, whatever, anything I can do to help people understand how to better communicate with each other, um, Mm -hmm. and how to better respect and support each other. Um, I, I, that's kind of my, my belief of what my, my goal is. That's, that's the wrong word. My, my passion going forward is it really kind of always has been in a way, but it's like I said, as, as society has gotten worse, I kind of, I kind of feel like that's an even bigger of bigger import to me. Um, Mm -hmm. something that I think that I am capable of doing. I can communicate. Sometimes I get my words jumbled up. I had a professor once tell me, you've got so many great things in your head and you have no way of getting them out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's really important to me to find ways to help people communicate in in a way that is respectful. And it's, man, it's such a big hill to climb, isn't it? It is Um, definitely. It's, I mean, I don't know, we, like in our podcast, we try to stay away from all of that. We just like, I've made a point in several episodes to say like, the further I can get away from reality, like with these Marvel shows that are like Falcon and Winter Soldier, for instance, is more based on kind of like real life scenarios mm-hmm. and uh, political situations sure. that happen. Um like the further I can get away from that stuff, the better for me. So I don't know how political you are planning on getting, but especially it's, recently. It's more sociopolitical. I, I don't, over the years I've, I've bandied about the idea of getting involved in politics, but I just can't, I can't do it. I just can't yeah. do it. The vitriol that's already there um, right. kills good people all the time. Yeah. You know? And I feel like it's kind of, so you make the, like you are differentiating between the two, social, political, and just politics in general. But I feel like they're bleeding together. Well, at a a street level, they are. Um, And and obviously I have to address that if I'm going to do uh, anything. But, you know, if... It's a, to me, it's a big picture thing. If somebody looks at a, at a Star Wars and says, oh, wait, I, I don't really like that, but I respect that you do. And I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You can be passionate about that. If they can do that, then maybe they can also step back in their political life and say, okay, I don't, I don't agree with that point of view at all, but let's talk about it. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's piecing things together as an educator and, and having my own kids going through school, we don't, we don't teach everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can't teach everything. We have to teach what we teach and give tools through that for other people to do their thing uh, right. and to and to and to learn how to better better do the the things that they do out in the world with the things that we don't get to talk about. Um, and uh, and I think that that's probably my my pathway. Um, I had a um, you've probably heard me say this before when I was in high school. Um, got on, um, got on a bus and I'm also not going to talk about religion much on the podcast or anything, but I got on a bus at a band competition and there was a kid sitting there, um, who, uh, every, I mean, everybody knew he was an atheist. Um, and the drum major gets on and she strikes up a conversation. And then at one point I hear her say, don't, don't you realize you're wrong? 
And I'm like, that is absolutely not how to get somebody to come over to your side. You know, to to just tell them they're wrong and shut them down isn't Mm -hmm. a way to, isn't a way to help them find whatever your reality is. Right. You know, to, to sit down and discuss it. Um, uh, a, a more recent thing last night, I was reading an article that, um, that people are getting all, all, uh, beefy with, um, uh, Kristen Bell, uh, mm-hmm. because she took some pictures with, uh, the LAPD, um, about, you know, she's not supporting black lives matter and this and that, because she's in there with them. I, I get the point, but on the other hand, is she going to be better off to to stand next to that guy who she's taking a picture with and say, hey, what about this? Or is she going to be better off to stand away and say, I'm not taking a picture with you. You're a racist. Yeah. You know, it's it's just easier to communicate when you communicate. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just is, you know, whatever your political beliefs are. And we have gotten so far away from that. But it's but again, it's not it's not just political. It was a societal thing that was coming long before 2015 and 2015 just lit a fire on it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I I just, yeah. And again, even, even that it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter who you voted for in 2015. What matters is the, is the, is the vitriol and the verbiage, a good album title um, that, that surrounded that whole thing and then continues on to today where mm-hmm. the, one of the things that I, man, there's a lot of tangents. One of the things that I used to tell my music appreciation students is um, I don't, I don't care if you like something or hate something that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that you can articulate why that you can right. speak about why you like that thing. Don't say that's awesome or that's stupid or that sucks. Tell me why. Tell me what's good about it. What's not. Try to find something good about it that, you know, I look, I don't like country music, but there are things that I admire uh, about country music. It's, and and um, the Beatles, I hate listening to the Beatles sing their own songs. It's weird. I, I don't know. Yeah. If other people sing them, I like them. It's, it's very bizarre. So, um, but, but I can, you know, if you ask me, I can tell you why. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's it's um, it's a some of its taste, but most of it is is that there are specific things that bug me. Um, and it's but it's certainly not that I don't respect any of. Obviously, they were great songwriters, or I wouldn't listen to other people sing their stuff. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, it's it's that sort of thing. We we need to be better at communicating and the other thing is that 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 cartoon that you know the two guys are pointing at the six or nine or whatever on the ground and saying Mm -hmm. it's a six it's a nine you know and we have to see both sides no 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 yeah no whoever painted that painted a six or a nine right it didn't just paint a squiggly you know (laughs) yeah it didn't Um, just happen to be like that right so somebody there is right but you don't you don't find out who by sitting and arguing about it Right. And I feel like as an educator, you, so Neil deGrasse Tyson, he always has, you know, I mean, he does all of his podcasting and his shows and whatnot about the galaxy and all that, but his major thing when it comes to talking to younger people is that you go to school to learn how to learn. Yes. And people seem to have forgotten 
that also includes learning how to treat other people. That is something mm-hmm. you learn in kindergarten. My child is currently learning that now. <laughs> you yep. know, it's something that people have gotten away from that is really just kind of awful. And it's like, how do you forget? How do you forget that? You know? Well, you know, again, you know, it doesn't matter what religion you are. There is some form of the golden rule in in all of them, you know, treat others how you want to be treated. And we don't do that. Right. We don't do that, you know, and, and it's, it's mind boggling to me because, you know, I don't, I don't know how we, there's always been mean people, but how is everybody, you know? Yeah. I've thought about that a lot lately as well. We go from, like, from my perspective, I see all these people as mean, but I know that they don't see themselves mean. No. Do they see me as mean? Like, how does this work? (laughs) I used to, I wrote a great thing about that once, and I wanted to put it on the internet, and I lost it, and I have no idea where it is. It was the year before I came to Haleyville, in fact. It It was a diatribe about everybody being a hero of their own story. Um. And um, getting into DC Comics mostly um, because that's a really good um, kind of microcosm of that idea. You know, Lex Luthor thinks that he's the hero. He's wanting to get this alien off off of uh, the planet Earth and 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 make the Earth safe from him uh, and these sorts of things. And that's true. Everybody thinks on some level that they're doing something for the right reason, and they may be, but that doesn't mean that they're tactics are good right okay that got really deep yeah what can we talk about that's positive shake it out (laughs) shake it out let's say you're a life coach what's the first thing you feel you should work on with someone who asks for your services i'd say probably the the um not just imposter syndrome um but that larger uh concept uh, imposter syndrome, anxiety, things like that. Um, I think that, that I have, I've learned the, the positive qualities of BGAF because there, there is some of that need. We, we have a tendency, the stress of the world, and there is a lot ramps up and piles up so hard on us. And we open ourselves to it by flipping on the phone uh, or the TV, but certainly the phone and the computer is, is where we get most of our, I, I use the word loosely information now that, and, and we're frankly addicted to, to, to mm-hmm. that stream of constant, um, noise. It can um, be exhausting. Yes. And then couple that with the fact that everybody has their own crap to deal with in their lives. Right. Um, and, um, so, all, all those people, these people, I am doing when I flip on that, uh, that own, own, that was very Alabamian. When I flip on, flip on the phone and, um, and read these terrible, horrible things that are going on is I'm listening to crap that just lays on top of the crap that I've already got being. So it's just exponentially piling on. And I think I have gotten better at not doing that. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I, in fact, I've thought about 
leaving Facebook, at least on a social uh, basis and, and just using it for professional reasons. Um, yeah. You know, and, and just basically unfollowing every page I follow um, <laughs> and, and, and that sort of thing. And um, that could probably go a long way to help uh, just about anybody. The good thing for me anyway, is that I don't spend a lot of time listening to the news because I was, I was, I was an NPR junkie um, until like 15, 2016. And it just got to be so hard to listen to. Yeah. I, I just, I just, I, now it's, it's all podcasts and music all the time. And um, that's helped a lot. It really has. Because yeah. even if I don't feel completely connected to the thing that's going on on the radio, I'm hearing about it. And on a human level, it bothers me. So yeah, just, just helping a person deal with those things, learning how to turn off, um, learning how to soldier on when, when the imposter syndrome, when Bruno comes, comes a knocking, we don't talk about Bruno. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. I was actually going to say that earlier, but I wasn't sure if you watched that yet. Yep. I watched it two days ago. It made me cry. Really? Um, I did the whole thing. It's a a good movie. I felt like the third act was a little rushed, Um, but I really, I enjoyed it. I liked the music once I got used to it. It took me a second. Yeah, Yeah, it's Um, definitely Lin-Manuel Miranda. Absolutely. But I mean, if you look at Moana, to me, those songs are amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are, these are a little bit more towards, kind of the Hamilton side of things, which doesn't appeal to me the way it does other people. I absolutely, I like it, respect it. I don't love it, you know, um, yeah. but Moana was, the, the, oh the, those, those were some bangers. Yeah. You know? That movie made me cry too. <laughs> yeah. It's a great movie. I, I cry about everything though. Um, but yeah, surface pressure in Encanto. Oh my gosh. But I think it made me, I think it triggered my emotions because I relate so much to that mm-hmm. character. Yeah. Anyway, um, that was a tangent. That's okay. Sorry. Um, well, that's the, you know, that's the quite literally um, the folks at, at Disney and Pixar. And obviously uh, let's see, Encanto was a, was a Disney thing, but you know, the, the influence is still there. Um, that's, that's one of their things now is to try to figure out how to get people to cry. I I mean, it's it's like, literally they think about that, you know, how can we manipulate this to make that happen musically, uh, through the, through the storytelling, whatever. Um, and they're very good at it. Yeah, they are. I don't know how they do it. I mean, they, they, uh, pinpoint people like me who wear their emotions in their sleeves and, I just can't help it every single time. Even if I get emotional about like a conversation, I'll start crying. So um, do you have any parting thoughts that are maybe a little bit more positive? You know, it's funny as we, as we talk about all this, I almost have to step back and say, why am I, why am I in such a positive mood these days? Uh, And I think it's, it is because I've kind of figured out how to, how to block out the the noise a little bit and, uh, and to enjoy uh, creating, um, to enjoy, um, pulling art in, um, inhaling art, if you will, the, the, the amount of, the amount of creative output in now 2022 is staggering. Um, God, when, when I was growing up, even when you were growing up, it was nothing like this. I mean, in a really positive way, it seems like everybody's a creator. Yeah. 
fine, there's people out there that aren't doing great work, but you know what? They're doing something that makes their soul feel good. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's really, really, really important and really cool. But the good thing is that there are so many that that are doing great work that are able to influence the rest of us and uh, and and to make us feel better about life um, or worse in all the best ways. Uh, and uh, that's to me the takeaway uh, I think from this podcast at large is, you know, get out there, um, and watch what everybody's doing, you know, look at a piece of art, look at, uh, watch someone dance, um, watch someone dance who doesn't dance well. That's okay. I happen to be one of those people. Um, uh, you know, listen to, listen to music, listen to things that you're not familiar with. You know, there are so many people making great things. And it's, and it's available. The, the, the internet is an amazing tool as, as evil as it can be, as we've talked about, it is such a ridiculously good tool for finding creativity mm-hmm. um, and for creating that, um, that I think that that can only be if used properly, a, a social positive, uh, a good for the world. Um, and uh, so that's, I mean, that's, that's it, you know, that's what taking creative license is about in a nutshell hour and a half long nutshell. <laughs> it's okay. Obviously I'll trim it down, but there, there were some good talking points in here. So, mm-hmm. well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Hope- thank you. Thank you for agreeing to have me. Okay. Yep. I'll talk All to right. you later. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of taking creative license. It was a blast. I Never knew that I could talk so much about myself. That's not true at all. I could definitely always talk about myself. I hope that uh, you'll find our coming season rather informative uh, and interesting. There are a lot of people from all over the world kind of lined up to come and spend some time with you in your drive or your lawn mowing time or whatever the case may be whenever you listen to podcasts. You can find the Taking Creative License podcast on any of your podcasting platforms. Next week, I'll do a little bit of a ramble about fun versus joy, two three-letter words that are often interchangeable, but really have very different meanings. If you have any questions, thoughts, ideas, concerns, issues, or confessions, you can hit me up at MikeCaseyComposer at iCloud.com. Very soon we will have the social medias up and running and I'll give you the cue to go and like and subscribe and all that jazz. And uh, we'll probably start with a little bit of Instagram that way. Have a fantastic week. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.